What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode 34 of True North Talk, featuring Peter Burnett and myself, Joseph Staden. In this episode, we are going to dive into a couple different things, but mainly, we're going to go back to Daniel. And we already talked about Daniel to a good extent, I would say, but there's something that stuck out to me when I was reading through this uh, last night and a couple different things I think that we could apply to our lives from this section of Daniel. So we're going to be reading out of Daniel 4 today. Um, and I don't know, Peter, if you wanted to kind of brief everybody on the background of today's subject, but if so, feel free. Yeah, so this is the story, we're going to dive in the story of Daniel who was, um, you know, I guess he was raised... And maybe even, like, he was alive when Babylon kind of took Israelites as exiles. And so he was one of those people. He was able to find favor in the Babylonian court, specifically from King Nebuchadnezzar, who we will touch on in this episode. One of the most legendary names in the Bible, I would say, because of just how unique and how long it is and everything and kind of how it once you learn how to say it how it kind of rolls off the tongue I would say it definitely takes some practice but um yeah definitely definitely a a great story again we've talked about it in a previous episode if you don't know the whole story um I would encourage everybody listening to to go back and read the first three chapters of Daniel and then the following chapters after this chapter which is chapter four that we'll be going over today um but yeah, and, and one thing about Daniel too that I think always stands out to me is how he rejected the, I guess, practices and the usual um, diet specifically of the royal court at the time. He requested, um, you know, vegetables, vegetables only. I think aside from you know the the meat and wine and you know just you know other unhealthy food that the court was eating, and you know said if. If there isn't a difference, then I'll go back to eating the diet. Um, but there was a difference. And so I think it's, you know, we, we won't talk about this so much in today's episode, but I'm sure we maybe will touch on it a little bit. But just the importance and an example of how to stand up for your faith. I think Daniel provides a perfect example of that in a, I mean, in a very heathen court. Yeah. And we're going to talk about, like, I, I personally... I love breaking down apologetics. This is a known thing by by now. Mm-hmm. But this section right here will give us a foundation of how we are to approach conversations with others and really why. I mean, we, do, we can talk about how all day long, but why should we do it a certain way? And something that stood out to me from this section is like the compassion that Daniel has toward this evil king. Mm-hmm. And we'll get more into that, but just how that can help us in our witnessing every single day and conversations we have and attitude that we bring toward conversations with others. Now, you did mention Nebuchadnezzar is a fun name to say. Hmm. So just really quickly, would you ever consider that for a name of one of your kids? What do you think? What do you think it could be shortened down to? If there's a good shortened (laughs) version of it, maybe. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar Burnett. Yeah. That doesn't sound too I mean, bad, maybe. you know? It kind of fits with Burnett for some reason. <laughs> maybe Nebby. Yeah, or Buck. Nebby. I'm thinking Buck. You got you've <laughs> Buck actually got Burnett. a couple of you got a couple of regular names in there. You've got both Buck and Chad. 
So <laughs> that's true. You could go with either one of those about, if you wanted to. Oh, Nez. <laughs> that could be a good nickname, you know. Yeah. People I'm might be a little though, caught Buc- off guard by it, but. Yeah, I mean, Bucky Burnett kind of rolls off the tongue. Yeah. So maybe, <laughs> maybe you could use that. I think honestly, Based if I'm being honest, Marvel Bucky Burnett as well. It, right, Bucky fits a little bit better for a nickname, or in my opinion, <laughs> for naming a dog, but. <laughs> well, I know. I know there are people out there named Buck, so no, no offense intended on that. Yeah. What, hey, what if we got some Buckies that listen to the podcast, man? We definitely might. But, but okay. When I think of Bucky as a Big Ten football fan, I think of Bucky the Badger, Wisconsin's mascot. So, <laughs> when you think of Bucky, you think of dogs. That's not a human name. That's that's a dog name. I don't know. It just it just <laughs> feels more like a dog name to me. Like I said, that I'm just messing with you, w- Wisconsin. But why don't we go ahead and. Uh, Get started on this, this scripture here. For sure. Let's do dive you, into you it. Take verse one through five. Yeah, I'll take that. We'll kind of introduce it and uh, follow up later with what exactly this dream is about. So Bet. King Nebuchadnezzar, this is him addressing a letter or just an, an address, I guess. To the nations and people of peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. And then it basically says that all the quote-unquote wise men of the time he brought to to him, they couldn't tell him. And then Daniel was able to come into his presence and tell him what the, what the dream meant. I'm going to go ahead and get, uh, starting at verse 10, just because that describes the dream. Mm-hmm. So it says... These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In one of the in the visions, I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, "Cut down the tree." And trim off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, Mm -hmm. tell me what it means, because none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Hmm. So, before we, uh, you know, before we actually read on the, you know, Daniel's interpretation of it, does anything really stick out to you from that dream? Well, I think what does stick out is the interpretation of it. Um, but in terms of just breaking it down piece by piece, I think it shows that 
this figure, and again, we'll talk in a second about who this figure is, um, because this tree represents a figure, a, a person. Um, the tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth, leaves beautiful, fruit abundant, and food for all. Wild animals found shelter. And then there's then there's a command to, to cut it down. And I know this probably isn't what we were intending as like the main topic for this, but I think it shows that when you are in a position of of abundance, of providing, it's it's always a possibility, and I think especially if you aren't putting God at the forefront for that to kind of come crumbling down, or in this case get cut down. I think that's what I kind of took away from this again, because the rest of it is made more known by the interpretation. But just just from that, I think that would be what I take away from this is that, again, if you're in a place where you're you're prospering and you're you're in abundance and everything and you're even providing for for others around you. Again, this might not be what was intended with the story, but I think what I kind of, again, take away and interpret from it is if you're not putting God at the forefront while you're having that success, it's always a possibility and maybe even likely that you will be, you know, eventually cut down for that. Yeah, definitely. And the fact that it's a king of the earth that has massive power and reach and kingdom, you know, it's... It's almost like if that can happen to him, it can happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. So we better be on guard at all times and be diligent in our walk. I mean, we were having that conversation off the podcast, right? Of course. It's like you have to be on the offensive, really, mm-hmm. when it comes to your relationship with God. You can't be reactive and you can't be passive and wait for things to happen and and all that. You have to, every single day, like prepare and be on the offensive because... Mm-hmm. The enemy will come to attack and destroy. And um, not only that, our own fallen nature will eventually fail us. And if our desires are not set on God, we will we'll have problems. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely true. Yeah, real quick um, before, we, before we move on, I just wanted to say I really like what you said about being proactive rather than passive and reactive because we were talking also before the podcast about things how things have kind of gotten you know better i went through a little bit of a tough period in work and now i've you know we again we talked about before the podcast but since since things have gotten better for me at work it was because literally i had that same mindset the same thought in my mind i need to be more proactive and on top of things, then passive and reactive. And yeah, 100%, I can't stress it enough that that is the exact same in our faith. If you are only committing a sin and then reacting afterwards and being like, God, sorry I messed up, even if it is coming from a genuine place and you are genuinely you know, repentant of the sin— if you're only ever reacting to things or only coming to God when you're going through a tough situation and reacting to what's going on and asking for his help um, or or just, you know, in any situation being reactive rather than, you know, it, it, it's easy to provide the examples of what it looks like when you're reactive. But what I would say proactive is, is, you know, every morning 
and and I would also you know suggest for for myself and for everybody listening also at night um, but especially in the morning again because that's kind of more being proactive is setting aside time even if it's just a couple of minutes to spend with God if you can't if you know if you're if you're able both reading the Bible and in prayer because that sets the tone for the rest of your day it's the same as you know kind of getting off to a strong start in terms of having a you know a good balanced healthy breakfast if you're if you're not eating, you know, the the best breakfast, it kind of can set the tone for the rest of the day. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have, you know, make the right decisions and kind of get back and be a little bit reactive. But yeah, like you said, Joe, it is so important and so valuable to be proactive rather than reactive because if you're proactive, you can set the tone, you know how you're going to go about things and the same idea 100% applies to faith. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's just a completely different mindset when you're proactive. Hmm. You know, you're not... I don't think anything phases you. Hmm. When I'm being proactive with my faith and I'm consistently in the Word, I'm having conversations, I'm witnessing, I'm, you know, it's at the forefront. Nothing really phases... I mean, literally nothing phases me. I'm, I'm grounded as a rock and, and that's how it's supposed to be. You know, anything can come your way and you're able to handle it. And that's part of, I would say, one of the benefits of having faith. You know, mm-hmm. people talk about the challenges all the time of having faith. But I think we should talk about the benefits more because it's not all about. And this is something we've talked about, too, off the podcast is like it's not all about negativity. It's not all about, mm-hmm. you know, hardship. Like, obviously, you're going to expect trials as a Christian. But there's also a lot of blessing that comes from seeking God and living that out. And one of those things is being able to handle crisis. Hmm. Um, it's something that I feel like, uh, recently definitely been put to the test on. And I feel like, uh, it's, it's something that God has shown me is that truly nothing. If your if your faith is strong can shake you. So hmm. definitely true. But do you want to grab verse 19 or do you want me to grab that? Yeah, I can read it. Just like like we've done before, just stop me whenever you 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 know want to ask a question or make a point yep. or whatever. So, then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your Majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth 
and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. First of all, doesn't it kind of surprise you how many times I feel like this round and round has gone gone about with Nebuchadnezzar? Hmm. Like, <laughs> I feel like Daniel, he's got to have some patience, bro. Yeah. He would have to have some patience. And that's the next thing I want to talk about was, you know, how does this relate to our lives? How does the story relate to our lives? And I think that it's an example of having compassion for sinners. And I think Daniel's reaction here is how we should be reacting to others especially when we think somebody's outside the grace of God or somebody's too, you know, beyond saving or, or whatever it is, you know, this, like I said, this whole little thing where Nebuchadnezzar would, you know, see the light of God, claim it, and then fall back to his evil, you know, claim God is, you know, Jesus or not Jesus specifically, but you know, the one true God of heaven is, you know, is the Lord and then come back to evil. Mm. It's this, this cycle and, easily Daniel could have been like well how many times have I seen this before he's not being genuine I'm just going to tell him the dream and this is just going to happen but verse 27 it says renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed it may be that then your prosperity will continue like I think that point that part of the end there he didn't have to say that hmm. right so I guess the question would be um, how can we have compassion towards sinners Definitely. Well, I, I would say, first of all, that while he did say, except my advice, I would say that, that those thoughts are based in having a strong, connected relationship with God. And I would say those are God-inspired thoughts. Um, but but yeah. to answer the question about how to have compassion, I think kind of kind of what, what you touched on a little bit about the, the back-and-forth cycle that, that Nebuchadnezzar had of loudly proudly declaring you know god is is lord above all he's the only god you should you need to worship only him and then he falls back into you know the i would say yeah wicked lifestyle that that he lived as as king of babylon during that time but first of all the having compassion you need to understand it kind of makes me think of the story the the parable that jesus shared in the gospels about how the seed that is sprinkled on a variety of different places there's the seed that is sprinkled onto the path i'm gonna i'm gonna pull up this passage i'm gonna try to remember it from memory though but i'll continue as i as i look it up um but the you know some seed is is sprinkled on the path where it's too dry, it's, it's rocky, it's too hard for it to be able to grow, um, and it's trampled. And so what that, what that kind of represents is people whose faith is um, you know, easily trampled down by the trials of the world. And, um, and okay, I'm pulling it up now. So the, the one that's on the path, um, the birds came and ate it up. So that's kind of that example would be, um, you know, people who let let other influences quickly come and pick them up away from from the word. 
Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. This is Matthew 13. Um, I'm in verse 5, by the way, for anybody listening and for, for Joe, if you want to pull that up. Um, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. I think that might be kind of similar to where Nebuchadnezzar's at is where there's like a, a burst and it, it, it kind of explodes with growth and it, it declares about God. And then, you know, whether again, it's, it's the challenges of the world or just the influences that kind of, in this case, literally burn you out. Um, and because there's not any depth to it, you know, those are people who maybe are willing to embrace faith for a moment, but then quickly turn from it. And then other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. That would be, again, kind of people who I would say are surrounded by bad influences, which I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar was in his court. So I think that one also applies to him. But then the final one, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced the crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. And so Mm -hmm. what I think, because I'm not sure if I've made it clear exactly how this applies to having compassion on non-believers, I think having that understanding that they don't, you know, non-Christians don't have the same background of what I would say for, for Joseph and I of being sown on that good soil. You know, we were both raised in the church. We know what it, what it, what it's like to, to be, be surrounded by Christians and other good influences. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not to put ourselves on any sort of pedestal. That's, that's not what I'm trying to do here. Um, but it's as Christians, we, need to understand that people have have different backgrounds than we do they have different perspectives and oftentimes they don't have the same i guess i mean i would say ideal faith background joe and i are extremely blessed with the background that we have but again it's kind of tough to say this without sounding like i'm trying to puff ourselves up but it's I can only express that it is a blessing to have that background and the compassion is needed to understand that, you know, some people are in terms of faith, they're on the path or some are in, in, uh, you know, on a rocky place or some are surrounded by thorns. And so, yeah, I think it's just important to kind of have that understanding. And I think that's why this was one of the parables that Jesus told. Yeah, I mean, you're you're basically saying that you know you just never know when that seed's going to plant, and compassion is the attitude you need to have when you're having those conversations because you can't enter a conversation with somebody and think that you're better than them or think that they're beyond saving. Like I was saying, mm-hmm. um, that compassion is what drives us to even desire to share the gospel. You know, and yeah, you don't know where that seed's going to land, and I think oftentimes. Um, you know, maybe another question, but I'll give my thoughts on it first. But I think one of the main reasons that I have held off on saying a word that I feel needs to be said to somebody is, um, I was really asking this question last night, thinking about it. And it came down to the preservation of my own self image, you know, especially in situations where, um, you know, you just know there's certain times where if you if you bring up God, it was gonna be like, oh, he's talking about God, mm. and you know, 
always talk, you know, you get labeled as religious and it's like, you'd rather preserve that image and social acceptance instead of saying what really needs to be said. Um, especially when somebody really needs it. Hmm. And I think that compassion for sinners and, um, just having the proper perspective when you're witnessing other people is so important. So I don't know. What would you say is a, an obstacle that you've faced when it comes to witnessing? I would say for me, it's finding the right opportunity and the right words to do so. Um, I think I've kind of used it as an excuse that, that sounds good is, oh, I'll just witness by, you know, being as Christ-like as I can to to the people around me and being an an example of what being a Christian should look like. Um, but I think that's honestly, it's, it's self-centered. It's, it's easy to, to then not put in any work in terms of actually talking to people about faith. Um, and I, I feel like also I've even kind of in a, in a sense used this podcast as an excuse too that, Oh, you know, this is how I'm telling people about God. And I, I do feel like there, there are benefits to, living your life as a Christian because some people it's important to understand that some people don't really want to hear you preach to them but if they see that you're living a different way then they'll be inclined to kind of reach out and and ask what what makes you different but yeah I think that's kind of an, an obstacle and I don't know if it's if it's intimidation if it's just not enough knowledge about it or what exactly the the root cause is. I think maybe it's a, a, f- a few different factors, but for me, I would say definitely it is just making up excuses and not really having in-depth conversations with people about faith. Yeah, I I think that it's it's an issue of I don't want to say compassion is always the number one thing that either provokes you or prevents you from spreading the gospel. But, uh, I think generally speaking, if you have that attitude that, that you will end up doing what you should do, uh, because our compassion must outweigh our pride, you know, for really whatever reason that we give ourselves not to speak up at the end of the day, I think most times it comes down to pride mm-hmm. or fear, but it's, pride in ourselves that we don't have to do this right now or that we have better things to do. Um, and I think that really understanding and, and another major question that was underlying this episode was how can our view of God change how we carry ourselves around others, especially when it comes to, to sharing. And I think having a small view of God, and this is something we talked about in my life group last night, but having a small, small view of God prevents you from being as bold to speak up when you should, when you should speak up. And there's really a couple different things you could go into as far as having a small view of God, but you could say, well, either God's not important enough for me to do this right now, or God's not powerful enough to save them. Also thinking that it's really on you and it's not on God to do the saving. Mm-hmm. I mean, really the, the fact is God does most of the work with your seed example in Matthew, God waters, I mean, we, we plant the seed hopefully, but you know, he waters and grows the seed and God really does most of the work. Mm-hmm. So I think 
even the thought of thinking that most of it's on us. Like we have to find the perfect words. We have to find the exact thing to say kind of maybe unknowingly um, assumes a position of, of the fact that God is not as big as he really is. And uh, really, I mean, I think most of the time a lot of people are dying to hear the truth, whether they want to admit it or not. And one little thing, I mean, could really change somebody's life. And you never know what that's going to be. You really never know. Because with Daniel here, when he, when he chooses to be compassionate towards an evil king, um, I think one of the obstacles that prevents us to do that in our, in our normal lives of taking the high road in that situation is that we don't get any instant gratification for it. We don't get any, any short-term rewards for not, you know, being vengeful or whatever. Um, there's short-term gratification that comes from that. But by forgiving others, having compassion... There's not always a short-term reward, but really, even another way to witness is how you carry yourself and your integrity. And even if you show somebody integrity in that situation, that alone might prompt them to ask themselves, hmm, what is it about that person? Why are they, why do they not react a certain way to that situation? And I think even that could witness to other people, you know? So there's kind of a lot there, but... I'm not sure if you have anything that you want to touch on from that, but if not, we can go ahead and keep moving with this reading. Yeah, just quickly talking about how maybe it's a a combination of fear and pride. I think they're interconnected. If I were to put a label on it, I would say it's pride-based fear. And to explain Mm -hmm. that a little bit more, it's kind of your own fear that you're going to be embarrassed or that you're going to look stupid or that they're going to hate you for, for witnessing to them. Um, but I think if we do it the right way and it's, it's about doing it humbly, it's about doing it respectfully. It's about not trying to just bombard a, a non-Christian with the information about the gospel. But if you, if you do it in the right way and you're depending on God to provide the words for you to say and, trusting him to provide the opportunities Uh, again i don't i don't know if we've really touched on it too much yet but i think you did you did kind of touch on a little bit that the the world really is starving for i guess they don't know it but they are starving for a god to to be able to lean on everybody is i would say starving for somebody or something to depend on And so often, far too often, that is turning to just, I mean, you you could start dramatic big picture, you know, drugs or or alcohol, or you could even look at it in in a smaller picture, just kind of self-centered thinking and, and depending only on yourself. But each of us has a whole that I truly believe, I know this sounds like some you know, cringy gospel thing that just gets said over and over again. But truly, each of us has a hole in our hearts that can only be filled by God. And that's because of sin, because the world is a broken place. We see that around us every single day. The world is far from perfect. And again, it, it is easy to look into the doom and gloom. There, There is so much good to life as well. But it's... 
again, everybody has that need, whether they know it or not, whether they want to admit it or not. It's just about trusting in God because every person also is going to want to hear the gospel in a different way. Some people, again, whether they realize it or not, in their deep in their conscience, they want to be hit with that gospel with just like like a freight train, just, you know, that, that, that sort of approach. But some people need it to be, you know, compassionate and maybe a little bit more down to earth and everything. And I think it's all about just, again, trusting God to help you find the words to say, the approach to how to share the gospel and, and then what to, what to do from there. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's definitely something that as Christians, we, again, I think are, are, are afraid to, to do because either selfishly for ourselves or even if we are thinking compassionately about somebody else. But again, I think really it all goes back to kind of selfish pride and, and fear of being rejected by that person. And at the end of the day, we just have to trust God to provide, provide the words for us to say. Yeah. And it's, it's the Holy spirit through us. That's mm-hmm. doing the witnessing really not, um, not our own doing, you know, even that is a prideful thought. The fact that it's all on us, like, yep. no, it's not. Um, but you know, another thing that's just before we move on, I want to say something that's helpful. I, I think when it comes to early apologetics, but um, we need to have like a baseline understanding of the unbeliever before we can ever effectively witness to them. And that starts by knowing the condition of their soul and not getting caught up in what they say about themselves. Cause you'll, you'll run into atheists that are, you know, adamant atheists. They hate God. They're, you know, oh, they would never believe in God, all this and that. You run into people who are, who claim, well, I believe in something, but I don't know what it is. And the Bible is, there's so many flaws in the Bible and all that. There's a million different things you're going to run into, but really to give yourself some clarity and sanity, you need to rely on what the word says about unbelievers. And God says in Romans 1, 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. So people were without excuse. So right here, this is what, this is what happens right here with unbelievers. They suppress the truth by their wickedness. Uh, God has made it plain to them that he exists. So every person in this world, you, you need to enter into that conversation with the foreknowledge that at one point or another, they've had the inclination that God exists. They've asked themselves the question. They, they may still be asking themselves the question. They probably are. And like last episode, I talked about the analogy of, uh, being in a pool and, and a, you know, having that ball underneath you and trying to keep it down. It just keeps popping up. That's really what they do when they when they try to keep the knowledge of God down. It, it, it'll protrude one way or the other several times in the, over the course of their life because they're suppressing the truth. But having that knowledge that everybody has knowledge of God should take a good amount of the fear away from saying something because I think you can genuinely think this person, I have to convince them that God exists, which like, that's a whole task in itself. You can do it, but you know, you'd have to read and prepare and, and become like an apologetics pro, which is like, you don't have to worry about that. It's very simple. 
you speak the truth to them, you speak the gospel and know that they know they have knowledge of God and you don't have to say the right words all the time. It's just about the effort and it's just about you being bold enough to do it. But I think understanding that all have knowledge of God, as he says in his word, is a game changer when it comes to witnessing because, you know, it changes your whole approach because every person you see, you're like, well, they have knowledge at some, some level that God exists. So I think that's a major thing to keep in mind. But um, moving along, we got kind of off the rails there. I mean, not off the rails, but we had a nice little conversation about that scripture and make sure we're still hitting our pace here. So on verse 28, the dream is fulfilled. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal Mm -hmm. residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what was decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails were like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were, were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in his in pride, he is able to humble. What do you think about that uh, image of Nebuchadnezzar with his eagle hair and his bird claw nails? Kind of supernatural, I would say, isn't it? I mean, it might be a little <laughs> bit of descriptive language, kind of hyperbole a little bit, but I think, you know, it's certainly possible living out among the wild animals for that long that he would have become quite the quite the picture to to look at. Yeah. Do you think you could ever live among the wild animals? I don't know. Personally, I don't think I could, but at the end of the day as as human <laughs> beings, that's how it was intended for us to be out in nature, so I feel like yeah. maybe I'd be able to adjust to it, so. Yeah. I mean, it seems like an exile type of situation for me. Yeah. And I, I'm also curious what this seven times will pass by. What does that mean? Seven times of what? That's what I'm curious about. Oftentimes, because a lot of the stuff in Daniel is apocalyptic, is end times type thing, it's a little bit tough to know. But what I have heard from from my dad as a pastor and just from, from church in general is... I believe seven times, every time Daniel says times, it means it represents a year, or at least that's what the common knowledge about it is. So according to this, that would seem to indicate that seven years passed by. Um, Again, I mean, it could be seven months, it could be seven weeks, it could be seven days, Um, whatever the case. I mean, there's no real way to know for sure, but 
it's I mean it, it does say here in the footnotes um, I think this is what it's well it's referencing verse 16 um, till seven times pass by yeah and it says or years so that's kind of what the what the common understanding is is that yeah seven years he lived uh, he was driven away from people ate grass like the ox his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird so seven years after you know probably decades of being at the top of being this kingly figure in especially in the world's eyes he was then brought low to this state and i think the the last what like eight ver uh, words or whatever to the the last phrase of this passage and those who walk in pride he is able to humble i think is what stands out to me from really maybe even this whole book of the bible or this whole chapter but definitely i would say from this passage that's what stands out to me yeah and just the redemption right Mm -hmm. i mean how patient is god with nebuchadnezzar Hmm. and i think again that just underlines everything we've said about our view towards sinners is that if he can save this person then he can save just about anybody and um I mean, truly, I mean, if there's somebody in your life that you think, well, I don't know, I mean, they're, they're, it should be hard to get to the, get them to come around and, you know, all these things, you have to really keep in perspective what God's word says, because it is the, it is the, you know, holy word of God. It is the truth. And uh, these stories are not in there by accident. You know, they are to encourage us to be bold there and to encourage us to have faith that others will come to the light. And, um... Just as a side note, I did look up this times thing. So apparently the Hebrew word Edan for times can simply mean period, but it can also mean a calendar year. Hmm. Uh, and it says the context suggests that the seven times lasted a very long time. His hair and claws provide a clue to the writer's use of the word Edan. Secondly, the term shall pass over you suggests literal time units. Um, and then lastly... The sickness. Apparently, there's a psychological disorder called boanthropy, in which the sufferer believes begins to believe he is a cow or an ox. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had that, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but yeah, back in my yeah, back in those years when I thought I was a cow, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean, but it's actually an actual thing. You can you can Google boanthropy. That is wild. Yeah. It's a psychological disorder that the person believes they're an ox or a cow. Huh. Um, so even that, it says, you know, it's it's rare and serious. When all these factors are taken together, we can fairly conclude that the text is meant to be taken at face value seven years. So I just thought it was, I thought that was interesting. And there's actually pictures of Nebuchadnezzar you can Google. If you Google up Nebuchadnezzar, eagle, eagle hair or claws. <laughs> it looks pretty rough. I'm not gonna lie, it looks rough. But um You mean they they had a photographer back then who who snapped a picture? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the same time traveler that, you know, we've seen pop up a few times in our society probably went back there and took a picture of him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm looking at some you know, of time these... travels in the Bible, so Yeah, I'm looking at some of these too. Some some of those are pretty pretty disturbing, but I think again it's just it's just a reminder, like the end of it says 
that, you know, pride comes before a fall, basically, and the Lord is able to, to humble people who are filled with pride. I mean, yeah, and, and Mike D'Antoni's theme keeps coming up on the podcast. I mean, shout out Mike D'Antoni, former <laughs> MSU Spartans football coach. Um, absolute legend, Coach D'Antoni, and, you know, that was his thing. His pride comes before the fall, and I think, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, really, that's probably a metaphor for it is Michigan State football when you look at it. <laughs> You know, pride yeah. came before the fall. Yeah, he was just, he was foreshadowing what would happen to the program. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it, it really did, though. You I knew mean, that one. You knew that one was coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's still coming, bro. Yep. Tuck coming. Tuck shirts. Tuck knew about that. Tuck coming. Tuck, tuck going. <laughs> tuck crying. <laughs> tuck cashing out. Yeah, for sure. For that paycheck. For real. But, no, I mean, to bring it all around, yeah. I mean, it's uh, the takeaway from this episode is not to be fearful, to understand the state of the unbeliever, uh, to have faith and confidence and boldness, and let God do the work and know that God is larger than us and it's not all on us to do really any, anything in life, but all we have to do is try to plant the seed. And also, just like anything else, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable at first. It's going to be a skill that you have to sharpen over time, but eventually you can become pretty comfortable at, at witnessing to others. I've witnessed it in myself. I've seen it with others. It is a skill that can be refined, but also even if you've never done it before, it should not stop you from starting. Hmm. So anything else you want to say, Peter? I would just say, I'm sure you probably mentioned it again already, but persistence is also very, very key. I've, seen people around me that even if they haven't necessarily accepted Christ yet if you kind of keep keep plugging away at that and keep going I I have seen people especially especially that um that my dad has witnessed to that have become even just more open to the idea of of accepting God and so yeah I think persistence is so key and understanding that it's not you doing the work. It's it's God doing the work. You're simply an instrument, a tool that He's using, and to not get the the false sense of of pride or to be discouraged because you you know quote unquote failed. Um, because at the end of the day, too, while we we as humans don't know who will accept God, and that gets into a whole another predestination free will discussion that we're not going to have on this uh, episode, but. You know, we need to approach everybody as if they are in God's plan to become a Christian. But at the end of the day, it's also important to understand that not everybody is going to be a Christian at the end of the day. We can we can do our best and then we leave it up to God. And ultimately, you know, not not again, not everybody is going to make that decision but we we do what we can. We trust in God, and then we leave leave the rest up to Him. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great summary of everything, and would encourage everybody to read this scripture as always. Everything we read, go check it out for yourselves. Pray about it. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it for episode thirty four. So, if you guys made it this far in the episode, make sure you like and rate the podcasts on Apple or Spotify. Uh, share this podcast with somebody that needs to hear it. I think it's something we don't say too often, but if you're listening, make sure you send this to somebody that could hear it if, if they're a Christian or not. 
And with that being said, we will see everybody next week. Peace. Peace.